For the first time in 54 years, you might have a shot at being able to hire Anthony Fauci. America's most famous doctor will be ending his half-century-long career in the government, and he spoke with our reporters about what he's going to be doing with his time starting next year. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. When Anthony Fauci started working at the National Institutes of Health, it was June of 1968. That's before the premiere of Saturday Night Live, before the development and the demise of the Sony Walkman. Peyton Manning, who was just inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame after 14 seasons, had not been born yet. Or, to put it another way, when Fauci started NIH, Toronto Blue Jay Vlad Guerrero Jr. had not yet been born, and neither had his dad. I say all this because late last month, Fauci announced he would be leaving the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, putting an end to his career in government spanning more than half a century. But you know what that means. For the first time since the Johnson administration, Fauci is a free agent. Bloomberg reporters John Lauerman, Jeannie Bauman, and Riley Griffin had an exclusive interview with Fauci last week, and they tried to figure out what his post-NIH plans will be. But as he explained, there's not a whole lot he can say until he actually leaves the building for good. Well... Um, I'm not being evasive when I say I don't know. And the reason I don't know, I have some ideas and I'd be happy to share those with you, but I have not pursued or investigated any specific activities because I want to stay pristine clean with the ethical considerations of any potential conflicts of interest, for example, with universities or with organizations that might have interactions with the NIH. So what I've said is really what I mean. I am going to make as one of my aspirations what I have to offer society to give them the benefit of my experience. I've been at the NIH for almost six decades and I've been here ever since. I've did my fellowship here I was the head of a section, I was the head of a lab, and now I'm the head of the Institute. And I've been the director of the Institute for 38 years. I believe with that experience, including the extraordinary privilege that I've had to personally advise seven presidents, puts me in a position to serve as a source of a guidance and advice and perhaps inspiration to not only the general public, but mostly the younger generation of scientists and would-be scientists to inspire them to go into the field of public service, particularly in the arena of public health in medicine and science. Certainly I'll be writing, would, would writing include a book? I think writing a book is one of the best ways to get ideas across to a large population. So you don't have a publisher yet? Oh, no. Not no nothing like that? Any no, kind of I, topic in mind, what you no. would uh, write a book about? Well, the topic is going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, John. You'll get a, I, I, I would guess you get a lot of readers on that. You would write an autobiography? Yeah, well, I don't know, John. You see, first of all, you asked a very important question. I have been very careful about making sure both officially and behind the scenes, that I focus everything I'm doing right now on the four and a half months that I have left in the federal government. 
when you're talking about, am I going to write a book or not? Or if I do, who the publisher is going to be? I have not addressed that too, at too all. Too soon. Well, yeah. what, what if things start to take a turn for the worse in November or December? Would you consider staying on? No, I've already told the president my reasons. I've explained that to him. He's, he's been extraordinarily supportive. He understands. I've built a very good, uh, I think more than good, an outstanding program here at NIAID. We have very good people. And also the COVID-19 White House response team is a really strong team. I mean, I, I believe I add to that, but even after I leave, they will be a very strong team. So I, I think we will do fine. Thanks, Dr. Fauci. People would often ask you, and I think still do, what keeps you up at night? And I remember in 2018, 2019, and before that, you would describe something that was almost exactly like COVID. And so we're, we're sort of wondering what keeps you up at night now that you've experienced the thing that you had nightmares about. Well, uh, what kept me up in anticipation of this continues to keep me up in the experience of this. I really am very intent, and I hope in the la in the remaining almost five months that I have that we really do make major advances in getting that level of COVID very, very low. That's the first answer to your question, uh, Jeannie. The second one is using this as lessons learned. You know, I lecture a lot in the public health sphere. The tone of my recent lectures, if you've heard any of them, are lessons learned. And there's about seven or eight bullets on the first introductory slide where there are several things that we've painfully learned. And we're continuing to learn from them because we're still in the middle of the outbreak. But I hope that when we get this under control, we don't forget that. We don't lose the corporate memory of the things that we need to make sure we do better at next time. Yes, because you've lived through this panic and neglect cycle many times throughout your, your career. Do you think it's different this time? Well, I think we've been so terribly hit hard by this outbreak. I hope that jolts us into a a perpetual corporate memory. I mean, one million Americans have died in the last two and a half years from this outbreak. This is unprecedented to anything except the 1918 iconic pandemic influenza that killed 50 to 100 million people worldwide. We've never had anything like that until now. Was there any particular you know, you've been so active in the area of vaccines. Was there any particular vaccine or that you re had really hoped to see develop um, before you left? Like, say, for example, universal flu vaccine. Yeah, well, the first one that is, you, John, uh, you're saying that and you know the answer to it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Ask a question that you know the answer to. We, we've, been, we've been trying so hard to develop a safe and effective vaccine for HIV. And that has been very elusive. Uh, elusive, not for lack of trying, not for lack of elegant science, because the science that's directed to that is extremely elegant science, but it's the nature of the virus, how it integrates itself into the genome of a cell. And once you get infected, it becomes almost impossible to eradicate it naturally, immunologically. So we're gonna keep trying. We're going to keep trying with different platforms, perhaps through mRNA, 
perhaps through different imagens. I'm not quite sure whether it will be, but that's one of the things that uh, is painful to me. After, you know, 41 years, we still don't have it. Um, is that something that you could see yourself working on uh, after you, you know, leave government, uh, HIV vaccines? Well, I could act, I could see myself supporting the work of that. I'm not going to reestablish my laboratory. Okay. Because I, I, so, I mean, that yeah. I haven't spoken about that. You're the first one to ask me that, John. Mm. So you got a scoop there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 not going to reestablish my laboratory, but I will be advising um, from a scientific standpoint because I do have a lot of experience in vaccinology and in HIV. So I will be making input, probably in advisory panels and on board of scientific councils and things like that to go for a vaccine. But getting back to the second part of your question, I think a universal or a more broader, effective both flu vaccine and COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 vaccine are something else that I would have liked to have gotten. But those things take time. They take time. Dr. Fauci, we've been talking about vaccines. I'd also like to touch on treatments as you recently launched an antiviral program for pandemics. And I'm curious with the state of uh, Paxlovid right now and rebound if the NIH is excited about therapeutics that seem to be better than Paxlovid or could be combined with Paxlovid, and if you think that a 10-day dose should become the standard or default for those who do experience rebound currently. Well, well, Riley, that's a good question. However, (laughs) this is a scientific discovery issue. But what we've put together is an antiviral program for pandemics, APP, it's called, which is going to be utilizing the same approach that we utilize for the development of HIV antivirals, antiretrovirals, is to use a combination of development and discovery, development of molecules that are already here that you wanna show that they may be effective and discovery of new molecules, the way we did with HIV, with the protease and the integrase inhibitors. We use the replication cycle of the virus to pinpoint vulnerable targets. We're doing that, but as you may know, Raleigh, that doesn't do overnight. You've You've gotta really put a lot of effort into that. So there are one or two products that look promising, but I think in the long run, it's gonna take years to get really, really good combinations. That was Dr. Anthony Fauci, the head of the NIAID, at least for now, speaking with Riley Griffin, John Lowerman, and Jeannie Bauman. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. Thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you next week. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from corporate filings to diversity within the profession, and even the latest on the burgeoning cannabis industry. Download and subscribe to Bloomberg Taxes Talking Tax, wherever you get your podcasts.